So we are wrapping up. Nehemiah 13 is where we are this morning. We have gone through the previous chapters. Just uh, last week, we looked at chapters 9 and 10. And if you'll remember, uh, you know, chapter 9 was coming out of chapter 8 where they had the Feast of the Booths. They opened up God's Word. Uh, they started seeing how they had been rebellious. Their people had been rebellious to God. And they started mourning, but Nehemiah and Ezra said, whoa, whoa, this is a time of rejoicing. This is a time for you to not mourn. And so they went through the week and they started remembering. It was a time to set up the booths that there was a remembrance of their time in the desert when God was providing for them. All that. So that's why it was a time of celebration. They set up these booths. They went back to doing that again. And that week was a time of rejoicing for Israel. And then on the eighth day, they had a solemn assembly where they came together, read God's word. They refrained from working and reflected on God. In chapter 9, we see this is 16 days later than chapter 8. They are together. They are reading God's word again. They're hearing the stories. They're seeing the rebellion. And they start basically confessing. The leaders are helping them in a time of prayer, leading them in a time of prayer, remembering creation, Abraham, Exodus, all through that. And then they start going back and forth. This is how we rebelled against you. This is how you responded to us. This is how we rebelled. This is how you responded. And they kept going back to his faithfulness. Even though they, were, they recognized, God, you were just in handing us over to the oppressors. You were just in doing what you did to us. You were always there and faithful to us. And in chapter 10, they actually wrote out an oath. They decided that, okay, this is God's faithfulness to us. Even as we've rebelled after all these centuries, he has been faithful to us. Our oath to you, God, is this. We're going to submit to your word. We're going to separate from this world. And we're going to support your work. And that's what they were, they were talking about, submitting to God's word, about spending time in God's word, applying God's word. Remember what it said, not just to understand it, not just to learn it. It was talking about, in that chapter, it was talking about we are wanting to walk, to submit to the statutes, to the commandments. We're going to apply these things in our lives, not just learn these things. So that's what they meant by submitting to God's word, separating from this world. In that instance, they were talking about marriage, mixed marriages. And we looked at that and seen that that's just not about an issue of race. That is talking about mixed faith. It's talking about marrying other peoples who would cause you to slip away from God, to draw you further and further away from God. And they said, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. And then it said, support God's work. And it just went through and saw the various ways it called the people to come together and support God's work with their tithes, with first fruits, with bringing the wood into the altar, with a one-third shekel tax to support the temple. All of these various things, they were showing that this is our oath to you, God. That's chapter 10. Chapters 11 and 12 are basically... The names of priests and Levites and situations of people who are living in Jerusalem and who's living outside of Jerusalem and all that. So we're not going to really go into that because chapter 13, this is when it wraps up and this is when we kind of come to a conclusion. And honestly, at the end of this, you're going to go, what were these people thinking? After going through what they just did, what were these people thinking? Now, it's important to note that between chapters 12 in chapters 13, there's about a 10-year gap in there probably. And it was a time when 
Nehemiah was not in Jerusalem. If you look at chapter 13, verse 6 with me real quick, it'll say that as, they were do, as, as, as he was there addressing these things in cha- verse 6 of chapter 13, but during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king. Now, if you'll remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king back then, and this all started the 20th year of Artaxerxes. If you remember back in chapter 1, chapter 2, the 20th year of Artaxerxes, and now it's the 32nd year. So he's been there for 12 years now, serving as the governor of Jerusalem on behalf of the king. And he told him when the king was, when the king was asking him, well, how much time do you need and when are you going to come back? This is chapter 2, verse 6. How much time do you need and when are you going to come back? And they set up a time. There, there, there was an understanding that Nehemiah would come back to the king. And so in 13, chapter 13, verse 6, we see that during that time, Nehemiah was not in town. And so there's about a 10-year gap in here. And this is also about the time that Malachi was prophesying on behalf of God towards the people of Israel, and if you read through Malachi, you're going to see him bring up the same issues and the same things that Nehemiah did back in the early chapters and what we're going to see now in chapter 13. So that's kind of the history as we're leading up to this, just to give you an idea of where we are historically in this. This is coming to the back end of the Old Testament and some of the last times that the people are going to hear from God before the 400 years of silence. So in chapter 13, look at verse 4 when it says, Now prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where he formerly, where formerly they had put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers and the contributions for the priest. Eliashib is the priest and says here, Tobiah is related to him. Now, you, hopefully you remember who Tobiah is. He's been talked about this whole time. Starting way back in chapter 2, he is an enemy of God. He is an Ammonite east of Israel there, east of Jerusalem. He and Sanballat, which was north of Jerusalem, they were the ones when Nehemiah first came to Jerusalem, surveyed the walls and gathered the people together and says, we're going to rebuild these walls. These are the two guys that started questioning Nehemiah. Are you sure? Does the king know what you're up to? And then later on, when they started building the walls, these were the ones who were gathering other people around them, the Ashdodites to the west, the Arabs from the south. They were gathering all these people, and they were ridiculing and mocking the people. As a matter of fact, Tobiah is the one who said, there in the story here, Tobiah is the one who said about, if a fox were to jump up on that wall, it would crumble. And then later on, as that wall was getting built better and better and it was completed, they, they're getting close to completion, Sanballat and Tobiah sent a letter in, sent a messenger in to Nehemiah and said, hey, can you come out here to the plains of Ono and have a conversation with us? We'd like to talk to you about this. Nehemiah knew that that was going to be a problem. They were just wanting him to, after all, all they've wanted to do from the beginning is to keep this wall from being built, to keep Jerusalem from being fortified. That's all they've ever wanted. So now they wanted to come out to the plains of Ono and have a conversation with him. And Nehemiah knew they just want to hurt him. They just want to bring harm to him. They want to put a stop to this work. So Nehemiah said, no, not going to happen. 
We also saw later on where Tobiah actually, with some of the nobles there in Jerusalem, was writing letters back and forth. And these nobles were letting Tobiah know what was going on behind the walls. And they were also, the nobles, were trying to tell Nehemiah what a great guy Tobiah was. You remember that part? Just writing those letters back and forth and kind of saying, you know, t- talking about Tobiah's great deeds, his good deeds that he does. Tobiah was no friend of Jerusalem, but here it says that Eliashib, the priest, who was related to Tobiah, provided a room for him to stay while he was in Jerusalem. And the room that he provided was the room that they, as they brought in the tithes, the grains, the oils, the wine, and everything, as they brought in the things needed to support the work of the temple, the, the, the place there to support the Levites and the priests and all that. They put it in this storeroom. And what did they do? They brought all this stuff out and let Tobiah, the enemy of God, have this room. Nehemiah says that during this time I was not around. But after some time, however, I asked leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me. And look at what he responded. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. He didn't play around with this one. If you remember, back when Nehemiah, he was, he's, been, he's been gracious this whole time as he has dealt with conflict and stuff. He, you know, he's, he said no to certain people and, and he's called out certain people. If you remember the part, and I believe it's in chapter 5 where the, the, the people there were saying, hey, how can we you know, keep building this wall when you know, we need to go out here and work and, find, and get food for our families because we can't pay the interest on the loans that we're getting from the people from there in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah knew that that was wrong. You're not supposed to, not supposed to put an interest on a loan to someone within, the, within your own people there. And he didn't demand them. Remember what he said? He was pointing them to God and what God had suggested, what God had called them to be. And he said, please, please, would you, would you return back to those who you have taken from their land, their homes, their whatever it is was for collateral and you took from them because of that interest that you put on that loan that you gave them, would you give that back to them? And would you give back to them whatever it is they gave you in grain and oil and whatever it was to pay off that interest? Would you give that back to them? And he, he didn't demand them as governor. He probably could have, but as a man of God, working with God's people there, he just wanted to see where their hearts were, I, I imagine. And he said, please, would you do this? But here, he ain't playing. Tobiah is no friend of God. So here he comes out, and he walks in there, and he just cleans house. Can you imagine if you were to come to your home one day and see all your furniture out on the sidewalk? You know, you see this every now and then in some cities as you're driving around, you see somebody's stuff all piled up out there, and you know, okay, they just got evicted. They just had their stuff brought. They weren't paying something. They were being a disturbance. They were, there was something going on there. All their stuff is outside. Here, it's just because this guy is no friend of God. And that room is for something useful to God, not to make it convenient for an enemy of God. And it says that he put all his household goods out of that room. And then I gave an order and they cleansed, the, they cleansed the rooms, and I returned the utensils of the house of God and the grain offerings and the frankincense. And so Nehemiah, the first thing he does here, there's, there's four things he's going to be confronting here. And this first one right here is the idea that this room is being used by an enemy of God. And he cleans that out, he purifies that room, and he brings all the stuff back in that is going to be used for God. 
So this is the first thing. And this is a pretty big thing. I mean, just think about it. That whole story just laying it out before you. This is, a, this is huge, a priest allowing this guy to have this room when this room was designated for the things of God and disregarding all the other things that they had just a few years earlier, the oath, the, the, oath, the oath that they had taken. The oath, we're going to submit to God's word. And all of this stuff, the way the temple is to be used, the way those storerooms are to be used, the the way the supplies are going to be used, all of those things clearly laid out in the Torah. And there's a total disregard for that. And Nehemiah comes back in and he cleans house and he puts it right. But, But wait, there's more. I also discovered, verse 10, that the portions of the Levites had not been given them so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. The Levites and the temple workers there, they're supposed to be receiving parts of the tithe so that they can do the work of the temple. They can serve in the temple. This is, this is something that was a part again of the oath that was taken just 10 years earlier that they actually wrote out you can see the verse, chapter 10, the, verse, the first 27 verses, there are dozens of names of people who signed that oath, leaders and family leaders and Levites and priests and all that. All sorts of people signed the oath. And it wasn't anything new. They were, this was what was prescribed from them back in the Torah. It wasn't like they were coming up with this out of the goodness of their heart. They were saying, God, we know this is what you want us to do. This is, and we're putting it in writing. We are putting it in writing and we are signing this document. This is what we commit to you doing. And in 10 years, they stopped. The Levites and the workers were not getting what, so they had to leave what they were doing and serving the temple and go back into the fields, go back to their homes possibly and work in the fields in order to put food on the table. To make a living. Verse 11, so I I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And then I gathered them together and restored to them their post. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, the wine, and the oil in the storehouses. It says here, we don't know if it was that the people had brought in the tithe and the, the first fruits and all that kind of stuff. And the officials who were supposed to distribute these things were holding back keeping it for themselves, or we don't know if the people just weren't bringing it in. I imagine, I imagine it might be even be a combination of both, but it's a, just imagine if, if Eliashib is up there allowing the enemy of God, can you imagine some of the people are probably saying, why would I support this? I mean, what would happen here if we just started doing some whacked out crazy things in the church here? You'd be going, man, I am not supporting this. But here, he brings the Levites back in. Judah responds by bringing the tithes together. And look at what he says here in the next verse. In charge of the storehouses I appointed, Shalomai, I'm not even going to try. All these names toward the end, for they were considered reliable. Look at what it says. He appointed certain people into those positions there to look over, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. 
They weren't providing for the Levites. They weren't providing for the service, the people who served the temple. They had taken away their tithe. The Levites had to go back to the field. Nehemiah came in and said, that's that's not good. He brought them back in. Judah started supporting the tithe again. The people started working. He put reliable people to oversee it. And everything was back together in verse 14. Remember me. This is the first of three things, first of three times in this chapter where he says, remember me, God. Remember me, O God. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. We'll connect. We'll talk about this here in a little while later on when we get to that third one, but I just want us to see that, that here he's, he's expelled Tobiah from the temple, he's cleaned house there. He's cleaned house in the, there in the storeroom and brought the tithe back in. He's put the Levites back to work, but there's more. Verse 15, in those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on the donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, all kinds of loads, and they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And so I admonished them on the day they sold food. And also men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Part of keeping, submitting to the word of God is to keep the Sabbath. This was a part of when they said, you know, we're going to keep to your statutes. We're going to obey your commandments. We're going to walk in the law of God. When they said this back in chapter 10, when they signed this document, we're going to do these things. And, and observing the Sabbath was one of those things that they were supposed to do, to keep the Sabbath. And here you got people who are, they started working on the Sabbath. They started doing business on the Sabbath. They started going out buying and selling on the Sabbath. And he's not real happy about this. Look at what it says. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city and all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. He's basically saying, Man, don't you guys remember back in chapter 9? Don't you guys remember? He, I'm sure he didn't say chapter 9. It wasn't even around then. But I just, back in chapter 9 when he says, don't you remember when we were doing the confessions? And, in, and, and, and you said after we had gone through, this is how they've rebelled. This is how God has responded back and forth. Six times we did this all through the history there. And you, and you said, behold, we are slaves today. And as to that, this is in chapter 9, verse 36. And as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. So back there at that time when they're doing the public confession and they, they say this is the last thing they say before they say, we're going to make an oath in writing to you, God. We're going to, we're going to commit this to, 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 to parchment. We're going to sign this thing. We're going to make this public, not just something silent in their head. Okay, God, I'll do this. I'll give it a go. This is, this is something they made very public, very collective. Everybody was in on this. 
that we're going to do this. Here they're saying they were slaves in their own land. And they are. They still have to provide for the king. Jerusalem is still not free. Nor is Moab. Nor is Ammon. Nor are the Arabs. Nor is Ashdod. None of the surrounding communities are. The king of Persia is over all of them. And they are saying we are still slaves in this land. In our home, we are still slaves. And here he's saying, look at what, he's, look at what Nehemiah is saying to the people there. Do not, did not your fathers, in verse 18, did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. He's just putting it back on them. You want out, but what are you doing to make that happen? What you are doing is actually making things worse. By not keeping the Sabbath, you are making things worse. This is what God has commanded us. This is how he has told us we ought to live. We should prescribe to this thing that God has. He knows what's best for us. We have seen this over and over again. You have talked about it back in there, there in chapter 9 when he says, we did this sin, God provided this, was faithful to this, called us out to this, gave us this. Every time they sinned, God was there when he, they cried out to him. Why do we continue to disobey God? You are making things worse on yourself. And he goes on to talk about how the people were even outsiders were coming up to the gate, spending the night outside. And Nehemiah there in verse 20, and then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. And from that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves, come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day, for this also remember me, O oh my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Not only did he tell them to stop doing this, he put things in place to help them not do this again. Purified the Levites so that they could stand there in front of the gates and say, no, we're not, you're not coming in selling. No, you're not going to come in here buying. No, you're not going to come in here and do business. This is a Sabbath. The gates were closed. So Nehemiah here, there's, these are three things that we see from last week's sermon that they have already, within a 10-year period, at the most. Some folks even believe this might just be one and a half years. I don't. I think it's closer to 10 years. But, but it's not even a generation has gone by. And they have already slipped back into this type of disobedience. And look at this last one here. And in those days, I saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. Now, again, you're not going to hear me say anything about language being a bad thing. I think language is good. I, I, I encourage people to learn other languages and, and all that. When Shannon and I lived overseas... She did a better job than I did at learning the languages and different things like that. And so, but I do know this, that language, when you do learn a language in another culture, in another place, that it can kind of draw you into more than just learning the language. 
I'll, I'll just give, give you, it's, it's not a, it might not be a very good example, but I'll give you one example in my own life, is that when we went to North Africa and Morocco, and we started learning Arabic, we went there, we had learned a little bit of French, we started practicing the French, and we just decided we wanted to learn the local language, Arabic. And as soon as we started doing that, I was walking around, and instead of saying, I am called David, I was saying, I am called David, because that's the way the French say it. But when I started learning Arabic, I started going, I am called Daoud. That's David in Arabic. And as soon as I started doing that, it was amazing that people were responding incredibly positive to us. We're trying to learn their languages, and that was good. But here's what I found out, is that as I learned their language and called myself Daoud in Arabic name, they were assuming that I was becoming Muslim. They were assuming that I was buying into their religion, their culture, everything about them because nobody else around here calls themselves Daoud unless they are Muslim, unless they are Arab, unless they are followers of Islam. And not only that, we started, we would, we would you know, go and, and, and watch certain things or participate in certain things and like the, the big sacrifice that they do. And we, particip- you know, we went to a family friend of ours and, 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 and watched them go through the sacrifice and ate the meal with them and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of realized, man, if they thought, my, my people around me, when they heard that, they were excited thinking I was becoming more and more and more Muslim. Because I was learning their language. I was calling myself an Arabic name. And I was participating in some of their customs. Now, we can be intentional about learning languages and all that and not buy into all that. So we, we, I, I felt like we, we did our best and not, we did our best and communicated that, no, you don't understand. I can call myself Daoud and still be a follower of God through Jesus Christ. So it actually gave me opportunities to share the gospel, but it would have been easy if someone was not strong in their faith, if someone was not intentionally walking with God to just kind of slip further and further and further into Not just the language, but the culture, and ultimately accepting some of the religious practices. Here he's he's calling them out. He says, man, your children don't even speak our language. You're married into these families. You're not even teaching them anything about our language. You're not teaching them anything about our...